This morning we are in continuing in Ephesians chapter 4 and find ourselves at this passage about corrupt talk. And so I'm going to start um, in verse 25 today. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. It is eternally true. Let's ask for his help this morning. Father, we pray that you would... Give us a desire to know and a happiness and a delight in your word this morning, and that my mouth would be pure. In Christ's name, amen. Corrupting talk is, sounds bad, and it is bad. Uh, in chapter 5, just skipping forward a few verses, um, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Corrupting talk is more than filthy talk, but it's not less than filthy talk. Um, There are those who even though they're in Christ, uh, continue to have mouths filled with things that are filthy. Um, but corrupting talk is more than just crude joking. Uh, corrupting talk are things that actually corrupt. And what do they corrupt? That's the question, right? What, what is it that bad speech, bad talking corrupts? And then what is it that is corrupting it? Um, about a decade ago, I finally read this book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's by Neil Postman, who is not a Christian. Uh, he is a... Are you guys reading it in one of your classes? Back, I see some smiles. Uh, this was written, I don't know, in the 80s, uh, 1985 or so. Um, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. And... Postman argues basically that show business, not necessarily the the TV itself, but the stuff contained in it, uh, the medium is the message, was one of his big things, uh, is that it lends itself to corruption. So I'm going to read just a couple of things and have us think about what this corrupting talk is. But most of our daily news is inert. It consists of information that gives us something to talk about, but cannot lead to any meaningful action. And then a few pages later, 
you will in fact have learned nothing except perhaps to avoid strangers. At best, you are left with an amusing bit of trivia, good for trading in cocktail party chatter or solving a crossword puzzle, but nothing more. Now think about news. Many of you are older than me, uh, but I am not older than CNN. It's older than me, I think. I think it came about in like 1981. Um, CNN... Cable News Network was the first 24-hour news network. Many of you remember life before 24-hour news. There was a nightly news segment, and that was it. And most of the nightly news segment was local news. But even back in 1980s, when Neil Postman was writing, it had begun to shift And that in order to have content, you had to have things to talk about. And if there weren't enough local things to talk about, well, you added in things, inane things. And what began as a perhaps worthwhile endeavor to bring you news ends up actually corrupting you. Because what it does is it fills your head with a bunch of stuff, and Postman says it, about which you can do nothing. You have no actionable thing to do. And so what it does is it actually just corrupts the way you think. You begin to despise people you don't know. And it aids that. It lends itself to that. There's really nothing to do. And it doesn't matter which side you pick. Uh, You can go Fox. You can go CNN. Both sides give news that has no discernible action. Nothing that can help you grow in any discernible way. And I would argue that that is the difference between corrupting talk and grace-filled, building up talk. You think about what corruption is, right? So if you think about something like a piece of metal, it's in a barn, it's on the floor, on the dirt, what happens to that metal rake or that shovel or that hoe or that spade? Well... It didn't do anything. But what happens to it? It rots. It becomes rusted. And if left there long enough, will disintegrate. Right? It's corrupted. By what? By just the inertia of not moving. Not doing anything. But you know what keeps a shovel and a hoe and a rake in good working order? Using it. Using it. That the difference between corruption and not corruption isn't just the bad content. It's not speaking anything helpful to move anything. It's exactly what happens to the rake left in the corner of the barn. If it had been used regularly, the tines would be sharp, they would be flashing silver, and it would be a useful implement. But left in the back of the barn... Enough time will elapse where it will be a useless implement, not able to do its job any longer. It will have been corrupted almost exclusively by time and lack of movement. And so corrupting talk, I think, for us today in the church 
is less about filthiness of speech, which Paul deals with a few verses later, and more about simply corrupting us to inaction, nothingness, but having lots of things to say, right? Who doesn't have a lot of political opinions? I have a lot of political opinions. You have a lot of political opinions. And yet, what does it gain us? What is aided by it? How are we moved to action by it? We largely aren't. Um, We largely aren't. But we are aware of things about which we cannot do anything, and yet unaware of things which we might have some actionable choice in. Right? Because we are so addicted to corrupting talk, we miss out on things that could be instructive. For instance, and I'm not going to be political here, so you can decide what you want on this. Uh, at the State House currently is a bill affecting our community, several bills affecting our community particularly. So one of them, I know, died in com- committee, didn't make it. That was to add a second or a third superior court to the community. Dead on arrival, didn't make it. That was something that affected us that very few of us even know exists. Second one that affects us here permanently is a one or a one and a half percent tax on our restaurants and hotels implemented by the city but has to be approved by the state so that we might pay for a publicly funded YMCA at the community swimming pool. It's already through one side, it's likely to pass the other, and yet most of us, including me, are very unaware of these things. Very unaware of these things. And these things are the things we could have actionable doings about. We could actually have something to say that would affect things because these are things that directly affect us. And yet all of us, most of us, could probably say any number of things about January 6th. We could say any number of things about Mar-a-Lago. We could say any number of things about Joe Biden. We could say any number of things about many things that have very little to do with our day-to-day. And we have lost the ability to know what is happening locally. And I would say that that is corrupting. That is corruption. There's a song that we learn when we're very little. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. Several verses. I won't sing them all for you. And we have known from a very early age that the things we hear affect the things that we say and the things that we do. They're all connected. They're not separate events. We don't think about things and do nothing. We don't say certain things and think different things. They're all connected. They're all connected in a way that is invisible, right? Something Jesus calls the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, you do things. And so if we find ourselves not doing, but instead decaying, it is very likely we have succumbed to corrupting influences, corrupting talk. And we contribute to it, right? 
So if we had to quantify how much of our days are spent doing or speaking things that actively build up, what percentage of our days would be quantified by that? Very little, if we are honest. Most of our day is full of the same sort of inane talking points that we have heard or just been around for our entire lives. We talk about things that we actually have very little control over or no control over and spend most of our time debating the goodness or the badness of things, right? So, I don't remember if it was Thursday, I think it was Friday night when Purdue lost, right? How much of the next day's speech was consumed with either laughing about Purdue or being sad about Purdue, and how much of it was spent in any way thinking about how we might build someone up. And that's not anything new. We're using the things that are happening now, but this problem is old. It's very old. We have particular things that aggravate it, the cable, the 24-hour news cycle, the fact that we are enamored with things that don't actually affect us in any way outside of our team winning or losing. And yet the same thing was probably happening in the Ephesian church. I don't know exactly what the corrupting talk was, but I know that it consumed them because the way Paul says to put on the new man here is not simply speak right things. Look at what he says but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. Edifying speech, building up speech, is thoughtful speech. It's actually spending time thinking about what would actually benefit someone else right then. It's not cliched phrases stored up for a time. This is true no matter what and how true those cliched phrases are. I will give you an example both ways. God is sovereign over all things, both good and evil. There is nothing that has ever happened on the face of the planet on which God has not sovereignly ordained it to come to pass. That is true. We affirm this in our creeds and our confessions. The scriptures teach it. Not one hair is unnumbered from your head. Not a bird can fall from the sky apart from the will of the Father. Both good and evil come from the Lord. Shall we not accept both? These are all Scripture. And yet, if you were to say that to someone at the death of their child, on the cars, the roadside of the car wreck, you'd probably be doing a disservice to that person. Not because you didn't say something true, but it didn't fit the occasion. The only good thing Job's friends did was to be quiet for seven days. And oftentimes that is fitting for the occasion. Now, another thing that we perhaps go the opposite way on is general truisms, which may or may not be true, said in an ill-fitting time. This is generally most of our speech. Most of our speech. It just has nothing really to say that benefits anyone. 
It's just more stuff piled up. Um, you see this mostly, now this is going to be somewhat controversial, on someone's birthday. And what happens on birthdays? You get told, happy birthday. It's true. How many of those people have interacted with you in the last week, month, year? Most of the time, what I see in life and have observed for my short 39 years is that many of the people who are earnestly good about making sure to say happy birthday to everyone whose birthday it is have no contact with that person outside of the day of their birth. And they act like what they have done has benefited and left off the other 364 days of the year. I have friends like this, relatives like this, who they make it a very particular point to make sure they always say happy birthday to everyone. But they never say anything to me the other 364 days of the year. And I just think, what good do you think this has done for me today? I haven't seen you in a decade, and I only hear from you once a year. This is not beneficial to me. Do you even know what my day is like? Do you know what has happened to me in the last week or the last month that perhaps it's actually not a good day? Perhaps something bad has happened and it's actually a very sad day. This is true of the way we speak if we do not consider our, the occasion of our speech. If we're not actually thinking about the person in front of us, but instead we're just saying things. I quote it often, I continue to quote it, Love dies when it sees the face of a man. Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is the news. This is happy birthday once a year. We are content to be completely oblivious to things that matter so that we are filled with sort of these trivial pieces of knowledge that lend itself to nothing that builds up. But the Christian... Christian has to put to death the old man and put on the new man, the thinking man, the considering man, the actual person who thinks, all right, this person right now, what do they need to hear so that they might be built up, so they might have grace given to them? That is a much different way of looking at the way we talk, right? Earlier, just a few verses earlier, we talked about lying and truth and those sorts of things. Those are one layer of speech. We ought not to be lying. But here is a secondary layer that can only come through thinking and meditating on people and God and what it is that actually might benefit them. And it could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be always something sweet to the tooth, right? Think about your own appetite, your own body. The thing that delights you, most of us, is not something we should eat at every meal. We actually have to discipline ourselves to bear up under things we don't particularly like so that we do not you know, cause ourselves to get type 2 diabetes at 40 years old. We actually have to discipline ourselves to eat salad because we don't like it and it doesn't feel good and we don't enjoy the taste. We have to do it because we know that there are benefits to it. 
This is true of speech. It's not always the sweet thing that is necessary. In fact, the sweet things are very usually to be reserved. You can observe this by just reading the Bible and noticing that in and amongst the very difficult things are sweet things given, but much of the Bible is full of hard-to-chew food, and the sweet things are given so that you can get through it and have a delight at the end. You can do this almost with any passage. You can see it. So this morning, in my Bible reading, I'm on Psalm 145. The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. Now, in order to be raised up, in order to experience the mercy of God and the sweetness of that, what also has to be true? You have to have fallen. It has to have gotten hard enough for you to trip. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. All in this are very difficult things. If you need preserving, it's because you're being destroyed. If you need help because you're falling down, it's because you're falling down. The good promise that God will uphold you has to come with the dual knowledge that you will not be able to hold yourself. Paul had lots of things to say, right? Paul was the author of Ephesians. He's also the author of the Corinthian letters and the Galatian letter. And he says at the end of 2 Corinthians, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Your restoration, by the way, is the same word that Paul uses here when he says, I have given to you the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, to perfect the work of the saints, it's that same word, to, to restore the work of the saints, to perfect the work of the saints. So your perfection is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul wants to use his authority for building up and not for tearing down. But sometimes, things must be torn down in order that they may be rebuilt. There are all kinds of things that we have to be willing to say to give grace to people. For example, one man has need of counsel, another of warning, another of rebuking, another of being reminded of something or else to be taught because he is utterly ignorant. There's lots of ways that 
building has to happen. They're not all the same. They have to fit the occasion, the person, what's going on. It may be that the person is utterly ignorant of what they're talking about and need to be corrected. It may be that they are knowledgeable about what they're talking about, but they are wrong and need rebuking. It may need that they need counsel. It may need they need encouragement to continue on. We have to consider these things. We have to think about what the person in front of us needs in order to be built. This building up is very important. Paul mentions it several times in this chapter. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip, to perfect the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This building up is thing, something we ought to be thinking about all the time. There are reasons Paul gives for the other things, right? Speak the truth, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but give. And here, let no corrupting talk come out, but rather build. Give grace. These are all in the context of the church. We have to be very careful that we don't short-circuit this work. And we short-circuit it by corruption. What happens is, we will know of a particular situation in the church that must be dealt with, but we will not deal with it. We will short-circuit it. And the way we will short-circuit it is by having corrupting talk, which is about inane things that don't matter. We'll shift the conversation over here to a safe topic that doesn't affect anyone personally and has no context for their lives so that we don't have to deal with a thing that actually might be painful Lots of people, lots of jobs have to do this, though. If you have a good company, you have to have a man at some point who tells the boss he's wrong, right? Men are not right all the time. Doctors are only so good as far as they can correct a person for doing or believing or walking in particular ways. If they just go, no, it's no big deal that you weigh 600 pounds, a bad doctor, right? Got to say, hey, you're, go- you're going to die. You're going to die. I have a very close person to me personally. Had a very big medical event a few weeks ago. And the surgeon said to both he and the wife, if your husband does not lose weight, you are going to be a young widow. Now, I can't imagine that that guy woke up that morning thinking, I bet I'm going to have to say those words by the end of the day. But he knew that the occasion fitted it. That this man and his wife needed a warning. And they needed it right now. We have to observe and be very aware of the people in front of us as a church. In the pews, sitting next to us. 
knowing their particular difficulties. And then speak the word that we think will help them be built up into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church cannot be an unthinking body, an unknowing body, full of inane chatter. It will be corrupted if it does that. It will be corrupted if it does that. There's no in-between. There's not, well, if, as long as we don't say anything particularly bad, everything will be fine. No. If you are not actively building, you will be corrupted as a church, as a body. Building up is not a once and done thing. It doesn't happen immediately, and it doesn't happen easily, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's a continuous process, building up. The church is ever-expanding so to speak. There's always a building project going. And we know this. If we see a building spring up in a day and the wood and the timber has no time to adjust and all of a sudden everything's framed together and built, somebody moves in six days after the foundation was laid, we will know that was a bad decision. There are going to be bad things happening in that house because the foundation hasn't set long enough, because the wood has not set long enough, that the settling of the house now will be an upheaval because of these things. Building takes time. That's important for us to know. And building doesn't ever stop for the people of God. And that perhaps is our greatest misunderstanding. We tend to think if we have built something good, the job is finished. If we have done, once having done something good, there is no more yet to be done. But in God's kingdom, the work is continuous for the people of God. The building is in fact always and ever expanding. Always going up, always going out. Always new rooms and additions being added. Because the kingdom of God grows. And so the second, or I guess not the second, but the final way that I think corrupting talk happens is assuming that the work is done. That we have nothing left to do other than wait for the building to somehow rise. That we actually have to come and work all the time to build the house of God. We actually have to think all the time about how to lay the next brick so that that person might be built up, so that they might receive the grace of God, so that the next person might be built up, so they might receive the grace of God. It's a continuous process. The final thing I'm going to say about this is this. It is an impossible task. Everything I have just said, utterly, completely, totally, Impossible. For we all, this is James chapter 3, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Here is the reality of all these things we're talking about with the new man, the old man. They're all impossible. It cannot be done solely on you hearing it and trying to will it to happen. 
The necessary prerequisite, the, the thing that must underlie everything we have talked about, is the fact that we have to be born again. We actually have to be new people. We cannot put to death the old person and put on the new person if we aren't, in fact, a new person. We will simply attempt to do what is impossible to accomplish. And we will begin to put up false standards of what we think is perfection of speech. If we think that we have perfected it, that we have ended, that we have figured out how always to speak, what we will do is when someone speaks in a way we don't think is necessarily good, we will say, they have failed, I have not, and we will be broken apart. But what we ought to realize is that we all have an impossible task ahead of us to be built up together into the body of Christ. And words will fail and be sinful. And then what is necessary is not a breaking apart, but a further use of the words in truth to rebuild what has been broken down. That this is a continual process, not only the expansion, but the making sure that we have actually built properly upon the foundation of Christ. And sometimes it turns out we haven't. And when that's true... We ought not to be dismayed to the point of breaking things apart. We ought to realize this is the way that sin works within the church, and it is completely normal. Not excusable, but normal. Which is why Paul begins his section and ends his section in chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And at the end of chapter 4, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It can be very tempting to believe that we, individually or as a group, have figured out exactly how all of these things will be kept, and we will know exactly how every situation ought to be handled, when the reality is we're imperfect, we're sinful. And a big piece of this is the ability to be humble and forgiving with one another, tender-hearted. We ought to not let that dissuade us from striving towards this. Godly speech is thoughtful speech. Corrupting speech is thoughtless. Tossing away. I'm going to read one final piece And then we will pray and take communion. This is John Calvin talking about the way we excuse the heavy burden of the new man on speech. Others cloak all things and others in a general way and will say, Oh, it's not necessary to be so strict. God does not wish us to live mournfully. What a thing that would be. It would be no more lawful for us to laugh now and again. 
And their speaking in that way leads to the burying of all fear of God, little by little. Many such people, yes, more than enough, show themselves too much. And there are so many testimonies that lewd words are poisons with which to murder souls. It is easy to dismiss thinking, thoughtful, building up grace-filled speech as mournful and difficult. And that God would not have us to go about being mournful. That is true in a sense, but it's overused if it strips us of the fear of God. Which is the beginning and the fount from which all wisdom flows. And so let us strive to put on the new man filled with good speech for the building up of his body.